Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Well, welcome to another episode of According to Flint, bringing in once again one of my passions as usual, music, in particular country music, and like to welcome this week a very good friend of mine. I'll call him a very good friend, country music recording artist, and a guy that's not afraid to dance with his spurs on. The one and only <laughs> Ned Ledoux. How you oh, doing, Ned? Go good, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, looking looking good. Well, look at I, I'm proud of us. This is our main goal lately has been that myself and whoever is on the show with me, we have a nice set and good lighting and we look good. You look, I'm telling you, stunning today. You hey. did, and you did put your clean shirt on, I think. Well, I got the dirty one on underneath here, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> hell, you know, I got no place to be, so. I know, I know. <laughs> I know I, that I've been wearing the same clothes for three weeks. And you should know, the guys here who helped me know that I put a lot of thought, uh, whether it's in these podcasts or my, my Facebook Lives in, what I should wear on certain days. And the one thing I could think of for Ned Ledoux was just the Wyoming cowboy, just the simple yeah. branded. Well, that was for you, Ned. This was well, not random. You. Well, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I live in, in Northeast Kansas yes. these days. been here for nine years, something mm-hmm. like that, but I got Wyoming stuff all over the house. And, and uh, you know, somebody just randomly will ask, well, so are you a K state fan or KU? I said, well, I'm the one in the middle. I'm the uh, Wyoming Cowboy fan. Like yeah. my, my father-in-law's side, they're all K-State fans. And my uh, mother-in-law's side, her, they're all KU. And I'm just Wyoming Cowboy. But I remember KU and Kentucky were in the uh, championship, national championship mm-hmm. basketball. You know, I don't know how many years ago it was, but we were all out to eat. And they got to talking about the games. Well, who are you going to root for? And I said, well, Kansas. And not all the K-State fans were like, oh, why would you take Kansas? I said, because we don't live in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Uh, see, Montana's that way. Wyoming, you don't have that. Wyoming's Wyoming. Montana, right. you're Montana State or Montana. And there is if, I mean, there was times University of Montana was playing in the national championship in football. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I was not that way, but I think I would be now. You know what, though? <laughs> Wyoming in general uh, is a real, for one, it's, I believe it's the most branded, not just university, but most branded state, uh, in the country. And people from Wyoming have a loyalty back to that rural upbringing, the harsh conditions, everything you can name about Wyoming. There's a real loyalty back there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Of course, there's only 500,000 of us, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, but yeah, it's, I don't know. We just take a lot of pride in where we come from. And I mean, I don't think it's any different than, you know, Wyoming or Idaho or Utah, Colorado, just that maybe it's just the region. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just take pride in you know where we come from and the, our families and things like that. And of course it's beautiful out there. So. Well, there's a, uh, there's a meme out there with somebody it's Jim Carrey, and he's in the most goofy cowboy stuff you could think of. And the meme is when you're from Jackson Hole and you realize the rest of Wyoming hates you. Have you seen yeah. that one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and, and, you know, and Steamboat, you know, I, I always call it Steamboat, you know, the logo, because that's the name of the horse, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, because and a lot of people, well, if they're not from Wyoming, don't know that. So, oh, you got the Steamboat logo. And I'll, I'll see, you know, a car or truck pass by once in a while with Wyoming plates. And, and uh, but yeah, just the, the logo itself has been used in so many other things, uh, like different businesses. And I don't know what the business would be called, you know, but they, they're using that logo. I said, man, that's, that's Wyoming. There, hey, know? there was a, there's a little high school about 30 miles north of where I grew up. Conrad, Montana, and I, I'm pretty sure I, I, it did happen. They're the Conrad Cowboys, L- little high school, 150 kids or whatever, and they're red and white, and their logo was this, and the state of Wyoming made them change the logo. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I went to school in KC, Wyoming, mm-hmm. and we were the, the Buckaroos. Yeah. And that was our logo. But it was, it was red, white, and blue. But yeah, the center court was Steamboat. And did you play? Way. What'd you play? This was not on my script, by the way. But what did, did huh. you, were you, a, were you a sports guy? Yeah, I was big into basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I never continued after high school, but yeah, that was, I was really into it, you know, from, you know, grade school all the way through high school. And, and we, we won districts my senior year. And it was, I think it was the first time. And somebody told me it was like first time in 25 years that the Casey men's team had won district. And so that was a pretty proud moment, but don't, I don't really yeah. do much of that anymore. Were you a dunk? Could you dunk? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Ah, geez. I learned something every day. Nice. Yeah. Well, it took everything I had to, <laughs> hey, to get it up there, you know, but I, I never did get a dunk in a game. I came really close to getting a dunk in a game, but somebody that kind of undercut me, you know, oh. like I, I was on my way up and I think, oh, uh, I always say uh, in warmups at the tournament, if the band was playing just the right song, I could dunk it. Really? I took all those conditions to make yeah. it just right. We used to do that all the time until the refs came out. Well, you know, right, we'd, right. We'd be dunking it and that's, oh. Refs are coming. No, yeah. You can't touch the rim. Yeah, now. me too, Ned. Me too. Hey, in all, of our, in all of our times, we've all been through the same thing in the last year, 10 months, of being uh, locked up, whatever, locked down, whatever you want to call it. But I, I did pay attention through it. You did a lot of singing to the uh, bookshelf, uh, different things, Facebook lives. But what I have noticed, and you've probably done it for a long time, but you posted something not long ago. You're doing work with the skull skull artwork. There's one over your left shoulder, and you've posted pictures. I, I, Ned, this is a gig for you. Are, you. are you selling these? This is a talent. I like it. Well, thanks. Uh, well, I got into it probably close to 20 years ago and the the way i got into it it sounds kind of strange but people that live on a ranch grew up on a ranch would understand that there's there's an area on the property where you know say a cow didn't make it or a cat got lost a calf or a horse there's a place on the ranch where you put them yes you know and so i just remember riding through the hills and i came across the remains and there was this bleached out cow skull and for some reason it just kind of looked interesting and so i took it back to the garage and i cleaned it all out and and started painting on it and and that's kind of where it started but and i look back on some of the skulls that i did in the early days and and they're they're pretty sloppy you know like i kind of rushed through them but i could see the you know the, the progression you know the more i did uh but i've i've probably painted close to 50 or 60 skulls and you know and i've paint i don't just paint you know steer skulls or buffalo i've done elk mm-hmm. antelope deer i did i painted an alligator one time a prairie dog which oh, is like not cool. one one paint brush stroke and you're done yeah but they're dog. cool they're, they're cool yeah, with they the are. teeth on um there's a country song there somewhere i'm riding out across the ranch i come across <laughs> a bleached skull and there must have been a story to that bleached skull and what happened to that old longhorn steer that was wandering in those hills and i painted a picture and lo and you can yeah. use that ned okay yeah and, and in a way <laughs> look you, uh, you I, you, I can hear your excitement about that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a middle note yeah, yeah yeah but yeah and you learn a lot about the like the structure of the skull and things like that you know mm-hmm. and, and and if you like i've had a lot of friends give me you know, steer skull, you know, that they raised this steer and they, uh, you know, had to butcher it and all that stuff. And so you're kind of like paying, you know, honor to the animal, you know, cause it fed yep. your family. And, uh, but I have sold a few, you know, over the years, but I never got into it to make any money. It was just, I've always been kind of artistic and yeah. I always loved to draw and paint. And, Tell me the story on the one behind you about what the middle yeah. of, in yeah, the middle so, of it. Yeah. So, uh, a friend of mine gave me this skull and it was all clean and everything, but it had a big old hole right through the mid, the forehead. You know, like you could put your fist through it. And so I, I kind of filled it up with paper and, uh, 
and covered it with some leather. But I thought, well, maybe there's got to be something cool I could put right in the center. And I had this rock uh, when my son, Bronson, was just learning how to walk. I mean, he could take probably two or three steps and then he'd fall down. But I remember he picked up this rock and he handed it to me and he was standing on his on his feet, you know, handed me this really cool rock. The sun was shining at it and had these little lines in there. And so I kept this rock and I think I painted this skull probably five years ago. And I decided to put that rock right in the middle. Yeah, see, and there's your story on that. It takes you back to when your son was small. I like it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking when I need a, a good Christmas gift idea, I'm calling Ned next year yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> well when the whole uh the, like you said like the lockdown all that stuff happened a really good friend of mine from south dakota had got a hold of me probably two weeks before we all had to stay at home and he had some buffalo skulls he wanted me to paint i said yeah i'm you know i don't think we have anything coming up in march we had a little stretch of shows in early march and then yeah. we didn't really have anything scheduled anyway so he like a week later these five gigantic boxes showed up to the the house UPS guys out there and said, I don't know what's in here, but there's a lot of them. And I started opening them up and there's five Buffalo skulls. So I had plenty to do, you know, when the doors were shut (laughs) in the early stages. Yeah. Um, I remember, and I've told you this story the first time I ever kind of met you. I guess it was very unintentional, but I think people would find it interesting. And, and it meant a lot to me. Uh, I had been, I was working Cheyenne frontier days. And the, the great thing I always loved about Cheyenne is I, I knew the guy at the back gate and I would every night just walk down the track by myself and stand on the end of the crowd and watch whoever the concert was that night. And that's when it was Toby Keith and you guys, the band Western underground, right? Came uh-huh. out and Toby did a Chris Ledoux tribute, sang a bunch of Chris Ledoux songs. And afterwards, I'm walking back down the track in the dark. And I, I look back and I see you by yourself walking down the track with to the buses. And I turned and I told you, I, I think what I told you was my biggest regret in, in my career was not meeting Chris Ledoux. And I said, so I always wanted to, to meet him, but thank you for the night. And you said, thanks, Flint. Sure, appreciate it. And I went, you knew my name. Like, <laughs> well, that was like the biggest thrill. That's the first time I met you, but you were drumming. You were playing the drums. Yeah, yeah. I remember that night very well. It was the the year that Dad passed away, of course, Frontier Days. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, Toby, you know, knew that Western Underground wasn't doing anything, you know, and so he thought, well, how about a tribute to Chris? So what he did, he played his whole show. Yeah. You know, all of his Toby songs. And then for the encore, he had the Western Underground be his band. And so we played, I don't know, four or five songs and, you know, the crowd went crazy. And it was oh, yeah. a great tip of the hat to dad from Toby and, and of course from us. And, but yeah, I remember walking back. It was dark. It was dark. Yeah. Know? It was just, yeah. I just looked over my, I remember I looked over my left shoulder and said, oh, that's whatever Ledoux kid plays the drums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few of us. Yeah. Uh, but um, I remember that well, though. That's funny. That. Yeah. What uh, what was your drum? I, I think every little kid. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I know I I had boxes and and willow sticks playing the drums. I was really drawn to being a drummer. I don't. It uh-huh. seemed like there was an era back then when the drummer of the rock band was. Remember when he'd do the drum solo and the chicks would go crazy. Everybody yeah. I think is drawn to playing the drums. Was that you uh, from very small? What was your, what was your pull to that? Yeah, that was kind of it. Of course, I remember, you know, before dad, you know, really made it big, this is early eighties, I guess. And, but I remember, you know, watching his band play and I just couldn't take my eyes off the drummer, uh-huh. you know, cause he, he had a huge drum kit and it was bright yellow. And he was a big guy too. And it just beat the hell out of those drums. And I thought, man, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And he was nice enough to like, let me get up and play, you know, after they got done sound checking or something and, and to hear the drums come through the monitor and hear that kick drum just hitting you right there. And it's like, this, I got to get me some of these. And so dad, 
I think he was just kind of standing on the side of the stage or something. Must have been watching watching this kid. And uh, it was like a week later, this used drum kit showed up to the house. No and I said, are these for us? He goes, yeah, just, I mean, they're for all you kids. Whoever wants to maybe learn how to play. And so I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old. And, and I think for any little boy, you know, to, it, it's okay to do it. Like you can, that's what drums are for is to just make a lot of noise and you can just play them as hard as you, as you want, you know? Uh, so yeah, about six or seven, I got interested in playing drums and I was bitten by the beat immediately. And I just couldn't get enough of them. And I continued to play drums for the next almost 30 years. What, at what point, what, what, what point did your, and did you see it coming where your dad said, you're with us, I, I want, or was it, did he easy in? How did all that happen where all of a sudden you're touring? And wasn't there, uh, wasn't there two drummers? There was a drum set and then you kind of played the, I, I don't know what you'd call that. I don't know that you had a whole set. Well, the way the story goes, uh, I played in two different bands in Wyoming. You know, we played all over Wyoming. And if we ever got out of state, that was a big deal. Like we're going to <laughs> South Dakota, you know, we're hitting the road, you know, but the way I got into dad's band is KW Turnbow. The drummer got in a car wreck, uh, August of 98. Gotcha. And he messed up his right shoulder pretty bad and doctors thought he might be out for close to a year, you know, at the surgery and the physical therapy. And so that's when dad approached me and said, Hey, you know, you, would you want to come out and give it a try? And I never even thought about it. I said, I'm your man. You know, I don't, I don't know if most people would say, well, give me a day. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah Let me I'm, see I'm, dad. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm your guy. So for the next maybe seven months, I was his only drummer. And then K-Dub came back and was able to play again. And what the original plan was, is when K-Dub made his return, I was going to go sell merch. And I really didn't want to do that. Wait, you know? that's, hold on. So you go from the drummer in the band, Ned, it's been a yeah. good run. Go sell some <laughs> t-shirts. <laughs> that's what the plan was. Cause, and even if K-Dub didn't get in that car wreck, I was going to go sell merch, you know, uh, you know, just to, you know, maybe make a little more money than, than I was in the bands I was in at the time, you know, I was getting a little bit older and figured, well, maybe I can kind of build up a nest egg and, you know, I can sling some t-shirts for a sure. while and, you know, the drums aren't going anywhere. Uh, but it's, it's almost like fate because, and not a lot of people know this, but the last show that I played with the bar band that I was in is the same night that K-Dub got in that wreck. It's really weird. Really weird. And then the next morning is when I got the gig. But thank God, you know, K-Dub wasn't hurt real bad, you know, and he was able to come back and play again. Um, but when he did come back, uh, you know, dad was like, well, welcome back, K-Dub. It's good to have you back. Ned, you've been doing such a great job. And then he just kind of sat back and like, well, I wonder if you guys could figure out a way to where both of you could play at the same time. Cause I really don't want to send you to the merch table, Ned, you know, cause you're a drummer. <laughs> and so like, Oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, <laughs> so we figured out a way to, to where both of us could play. We kind of woodshedded this idea and what it is on one side is uh, your basic four piece kit, but then connected is a percussion kit. And we would sit side by side and I would play maybe the first three songs on the big kit and K-Dub would play the percussion side. And then during uh, like three songs would stand up and switch places, you know, just to kind of keep it interesting, you know, and having that percussion kit, I think added, you know, a little more something to the sound, you know, that whether it was just a shaker or a cowbell or congas or whatever it might be, but yeah, it was, it was quite the trip. You know, <clears throat> speaking of people, there is a lot of connection, whatever, I'll, I'll call it entertainment business, but I'll go sports, whether it's football, basketball, you know, NBA or NFL, uh, rodeo, Hollywood, music, where there is a, a definite uh, noticeable line of succession where if the parents were in the business, the kids are in the business. And I hear a lot of people outside of it, on the outside that say, oh, well, yeah, his... 
uh, his dad was in the business, it made it easy. Or uh, his dad played in the NBA, so he had an in. There is a definite advantage, not because of that, but because you watch the business. You know, I look mm -hmm. at, uh, you know, Steph Curry's dad played in the NBA. Uh, this guy's dad played in the NFL. They have a track, a fast track, not because they're favored or anything, but you sit back and you learn and you know, rodeo's the same way. You know how to enter. You know how to travel. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a definite advantage in that way to sit back and watch your dad in the business for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and I think about, um, you know, other, you know, famous dads, kids, mm -hmm. and yeah, I know it's kind of wishful thinking, but if we could all just sit around a round table, yeah. you know, to have like say Jacob Dylan, you know, Bob Dylan's kid, um, you know, Dion pride, uh, uh Will pride's son. Willie Nelson's just, son. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Can't remember his name, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to sit around and just kind of pick each other's brain, you know, because chances are we probably have the same questions for each other and the same answers, you know. And because, uh, yeah, to grow up, you know, watching my dad play along with his band and, and see him, you know, pack his bag for the road and how he did that and, and then booking flights and, and then just the time he put in, you know, writing songs and playing the guitar and, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it has helped. I'm not going to deny it that, you know, my dad is who he is. And I think it's got me through a couple of doors and otherwise I probably wouldn't have, but I put in the work, you know, exactly. It wasn't like I just woke up one day and said, Hey, I think I'm going to be a singer. And <laughs> it, you know, it doesn't happen that way. Cause yeah. I never wanted to do what I'm doing right now. Five years ago, if you had asked me, Hey, you want to start singing and writing songs and being the guy out front? said, so, no, I'm going to be a drummer. You know, I'm, I don't want to <laughs> sing. Do you, drum, you do, do you drum in your show? Do you go back and get on the drum set a little bit or no? I used to. Kind of when we first started doing it, I would get back and I'd let Lane Turner, our bass player, who's a great singer, kind of let him shine for a couple songs so I could, you know, play yeah. my drums. But, but uh, there, there's a, an idea of maybe adding a drum solo in there. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Um, back, uh, on our, our topic, you, when you talk about, you'd love to sit on a big table with all the sons of, of people. I, I'm also kind of got to be friends with Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's son. Uh, oh, sure. but you learned the rules. That's what I always say. You kind of learn the rules. I'll tell you, who I had a nice talk one time with was Sage Kimsey, world champion mm -hmm. bull rider. He's so good doing interviews. And I talked to him about that. You're so good with the media. And he said, well, and his, his dad, Ted, longtime rodeo clown. He said, as a little kid, I sat and watched my dad do interviews with TV. And I watched him and learned how to do that. My girls, my girls are great interviews. They, yeah. Because they watched me their whole life. You, you do. You just kind of, I don't know. I'm just kind of going off what you said. I, I, yes, there's an advantage. Do my girls have an in in the Western sports industry a little maybe because the name, but because they just learned how to do it. I think more than that. Yeah. And, and you also got to have a love and a passion for it. You yeah. know, I mean, even if your your parents, mom and dad, even your granddad's somebody famous and that could open a door for you. You can't just walk in and say, and expect it to happen right away. You know I mean? You got to actually want to do this. And yeah. I've, really want to do it we've been off the damn road for oh my god <laughs> so long you know uh, so yeah i'm just craving you know just to pack a suitcase again you know <laughs> I, i'd love to do hey, that i packed uh as we as we record this as as january kicked off and we're doing pbr shows in smaller markets but we're out there and that first weekend i packed my bag and I didn't know, oh, we're going to small markets in Florida. It's not the same as New York City and Chicago and L.A. And I started packing my bag. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I'm packing. I'm packing, uh, so I'm good. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we, yeah. have, we, we did actually get out and play a few shows yeah. you know, you know, during this whole thing. Uh, but our last one was the American in, Fort, in Arlington. And of course we didn't know it was going to happen. And I had an award show. I had to be in uh, like three, three days later, four days later, it was going to be in Greeley, Colorado. So I flew to Denver 
landed, turned my phone on and just text messages, emails. Hey, the award show's canceled. Everybody go home, be safe. And so I went and got my bags, got on another flight that same day back to Kansas City. And that's where we all that's stayed. It. 15 days. I think it was, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I think we were off for about three months or something like that. Yeah. And then we, our first show back was in Forsyth. Oh, Montana. sure. You bet. Home of yeah. the doggies. By the way, yeah. you said the, you said KC's mascot. Forsyth is the doggies. Oh, yeah. In case yeah. you were wondering. The doggies. Do you feel, and I, I kind of was going to wait and kind of end with this, but we're on the topic. Do you feel uh, at this point as a performer, and I know what you, I know why we're performers, why we choose to do it, because we need that and that's in our blood and that's what we want to do. Do you feel, is your opinion, do you feel anything loosening up a little or are we better, are we as bad off right now as we were last April? Uh, all of a sudden... I turn on a football playoff game and there's people in the stands. I don't know if people are just getting that tired of it or learning to yeah. live with it. What do you feel? Well, I was going to say the same thing, you know, just watching the playoffs. I think in Kansas city, they let in about 17,000, you know, and they were loud. You can hear yeah. them on the TV. They didn't have to have that pumped in crowd noise. And you look at watching, you go, Oh, look at all the people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't think the dust has settled yet. I think maybe a lot of people were thinking, well, as soon as that clock turns midnight and it's 2021, we're going to yeah. be back to where it was. But I think there's still a, a long road to hoe. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's great. That we got the vaccine now, you know, hopefully that thing, you know, works and we get that out in everybody's arms. Um, but yeah. You, you know. have, you have the exact reaction I do. What? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I do tell people this. I think it's easy sitting in a place. I'm sitting in Billings, Montana right now. And it's really easy to drive around town and go do things and forget about it. And people will say to me, well, it's starting to get back to normal. If you, I think a true gauge of things getting back to normal is go try to buy a ticket to something. Mm -hmm. uh, the live event industry, uh, if you want to know how close we are, look at the live event industry and it's not close. And I think that I think that's a real gauge because that's the one place people really gather in a place. Uh -huh. and, and a lot of the the clubs and you know different venues around the country, you know, hopefully not everybody's going out of business. I I'm, I know a few places have already. Yeah. Uh, but they got to limit their capacity. You know, so if you go into a room that holds usually two thousand, you know, they can only put in maybe four hundred. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they're doing what they can, you know, and, and for us, we did a little run of shows this summer, like in August, I think. And, uh, uh, but everything was outside, of, you know, county fairgrounds. And, and so there's plenty of room to spread out mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I'm not sure what their capacity would be. Um, but yeah, there'd be like a couple of people way up there and, and way over there and maybe <laughs> It's so, on, on the ground, uh, you know, so frustrating. Uh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. I know. I know. We'll get there. Oh, we'll yeah. get there. I know. This thing will be in the history books. And that's right. A, a blip on this. About it. Yeah. Um, so kind of circle back to music and influence. I, I, I looked up the year of this that I'm going to talk about. So you're about 12 years old. So a pretty influential time where you're with your parents and your dad's in the music business and some new artist comes out with a song. His debut single says, it's 1989, a worn out tape of Chris Ledoux, Lonely Women and Bad Booth. Chris Ledoux is mentioned in a song. I'll never forget listening on the radio. And my brother and I look and go, he, we have worn out tapes of Chris Ledoux. Like instantly <laughs> we love the song. It was yeah. about rodeoing, listen to a worn out tape of Chris Ledoux. Did you guys know that was coming? Did, or no, was it like, not at all. holy cow. Yeah, I remember we were just driving back from Casper and in the van. And uh, I just remember dad, he heard this song and it mentioned rodeo in it. And so he kind of turned it up. And dad would never turn the radio up. It was either off or just just a little bit just to have that noise yeah. but it's mentioned something about rodeo and so he turned it up and and then yeah worn out tape of chris ledoux and it just 
kind of <laughs> like whoa. And I don't think he really even knew who Garth was. None of us time. really knew who Garth Brooks. By the way, for people who've been living in a cave, that's a Garth Brooks song. His yeah. first, one of my favorites of all time. None of us knew. All I remember was thinking, he can't be Garth Brooks because we already have Brooks and Dunn. Uh-huh. Right. And I remember when he mentioned that song, uh, we went to town and got the album just because it mentioned dad in it. You know, and, and of course, Garth, you know, he doesn't need any help anymore. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's done just fine. But it, that's the only reason why we bought the cassette was because dad's name was in there. You know, and but then we would listen, started listening to more of Garth's stuff. And, you know, like one of my favorite songs he ever did was Wolves. And yeah. Uh, but yeah, just listening to his stuff. It's like, yeah, he's got a lot of, you know, rodeo stuff and some ranch and stuff. And uh, it, but I think. You know, the fact that he put dad's name in that song, yeah, it helped dad's career out tremendously, you know, but I think in a way it probably helped Garth, sure you know, because, because that, you know, it kind of introduced, you know, all the rodeo fans, ranching families and country folks to Garth Brooks, but it also introduced the millions of fans that Garth had to dad. And so uh, it, it ended up being a pretty good friendship for yeah. a long time uh i'm not sure when he cut the song originally that he knew who chris ledoux was did he or it kind of it seems like i saw an interview that it was not completely clear yeah and i i'm at a loss for the guy's name who suggested garth put dad's name in there i can't i can't remember yeah. his name but he said yeah you got to you know worn out tape of chris ledoux would fit perfect in there and he is probably a co-writer on there. If you look right. up who wrote the song, he's probably in there. But, uh, well, yeah. the, and then every time live, God bless Chris Ledoux. I mean, and that did, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I cut you up. That turned into a good friendship. It did turn into a good friendship for all of when I'll tell you what, when I have Garth on this podcast, I'll ask him that I'll tell him. Oh, yeah. the time. Listen to my confidence that I'm going to have Garth Brooks. Uh, that, that turned into a good uh, a friendship with probably, I would imagine, your whole family. Yeah, Garth's been wonderful to us, you know, and, and we, we try to show him the same love and support. And, and also Trisha Yearwood. I mean, she's the, one of the most down-to-earth mm-hmm. ladies you'll ever be around, just, just warm-hearted and, and very kind. But, yeah, Garth is just, I don't know. Dad kind of mentioned him or – referred to him kind of like a, a guardian angel of some kind, you know, like when he was going through the liver transplant and they needed one immediately. Well, Garth, he, he was going to offer up his and, you know, it wasn't compatible. It wasn't, he wasn't able to do it, but uh, yeah, dad was just like, man, he, he just shows up when, whether you need him or not, he's always going to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, when we're done doing this, you can just text Garth and tell him what a great experience this was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I will. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, obviously, <clears throat> when you when you do shows and you put a playlist together, which I can't imagine. I always think of people like Garth and George Strait. Like, you got to, hey, we got to do a two-hour concert here. How the hell do we narrow it down to all these number one songs? But... <laughs> Well, you yeah. know, when you put a playlist together, I love your stuff. You know, I, I love your songs. But obviously, you go to a venue, and a lot of the crowd there is going to expect to hear Chris Ledoux songs. I mean, when you sang Reride on my show at Las Vegas, which, by the way, I always appreciate you coming to my show. Shoot, I got tears in my eyes. That took me back to when my dad played that stuff before rodeos on his tape deck, you know. How do you balance that? How do you, how do you balance, okay, I know who my dad is, and I'm proud of that. I want to play those songs for you, but I got to keep true to me and my identity as well. How's that balance? Um, well, the set list, it, it's kind of split down the middle. You know, I mean, we'll, and it's kind of intertwined. You know, I'll be, do like two or three of my songs and throw in some of my dad's, and, and we always end with, a big bang with some of dad's, you know, good party songs. Uh, but you know, when I first got into singing, it was really just kind of like a curiosity thing. Uh, when dad passed away, I joined up with a different band. It was Dustin Evans and the good times band oh, based sure. out of you South bet. Dakota. 
and I got to be really good friends with those guys, even uh, when I was still playing drums for dad, it just seemed like they were opening up shows all over the place. And so anyway, I joined up with them and I think it was after the first gig with them, we went back to the hotel and we're just kind of hanging out and, and, uh, and Dustin had his guitar and was playing some old songs and he handed, handed me the guitar and said, here, Ned, why don't you play one of your dads? And I just looked at Dustin and said, man, I, I don't know any songs, you know? And this was like, Oh, five, I guess. I said, I know the words to a lot of them. I just don't know the guitar part and I don't know how to sing either, you know, and, but he, <laughs> I can't remember what song he played and I knew the words, but I was like kind of humbling along. And, but when I was driving home, you know, a couple of days later, and I had a lot of time to think from, I think it was Lincoln, Nebraska back to KC. And I was just thinking it would be kind of cool you know, to learn like a handful of songs to where if I'm sitting around a cheap motel room with some buddies and there's a guitar or a campfire that we're sitting around and they're handing this guitar around, it got to me, then I could play something for them, you know? And so all the stuff I learned in the beginning were all dad songs. And for some reason, I never bothered learning anybody else's material except for dad's. Huh. And, and no, I never sat down and like rehearsed my voice and said, oh, oh, it's got to sound like this, uh -huh. you know, and I get it all the time. You know, you sound like your dad and, and that's probably the best compliment I could get, you know, but that's just what comes out. Um, but then as I started doing solo gigs, some people started asking me, well, do you have any of your own songs? I said, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to write, you know, but then I met Mac McAnally, you know, 10 times CMA musician of the year, songwriter of the year, I'm glad you brought him up. I was going to bring him up. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's and he's written more hit songs for other people. And you probably don't even know mm -hmm. if you hear the song, you don't know who wrote it. But Mac McAnally, you know. Yeah. So he was kind enough to kind of bring me in. And and we worked on the song that my dad started but never did finish. And it's called We Ain't Got It All. And from that point on, after sitting with Mac for about an hour and a half, it just kind of opened up that door of how to write a song. And I think the next one that I wrote was Brother Highway. And it just started trickling down from there. You know, Forever a Cowboy was the next one, I think. And then The Hawk, which I know is your mom's favorite, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that damn thing. But it makes me cry. Yeah. yeah. As far as balancing the show or the set list, uh, yeah. I mean, I know people are going to come to the show expecting to hear this cowboy's hat and Cadillac Ranch, Western Skies. And yeah, I'm going to play them because I love those songs just as much as they do. You know, and I remember when I was a kid, when dad wrote Eight Second Ride, it was in the shop in the back of the house, you know, and, and just seeing the fact that I got to see all that stuff be created before I even got to the people was, is something I'll cherish, you know, and everything was recorded on this little four track recorder and you play along and then, you know, go meet up with his band and put everything together. But, uh, but yeah, people are guaranteed to hear some of dad's songs, but on the other hand, I got to write my own story. Right. And, and you're going to hear myself whether you want to or not. But, I, and I think I, I read, I might've read this that you said, of course your songs are going to be similar to your dad's because you're telling your story and your story comes from his story. Your stories are similar. So yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of crossover there, really. Yeah, well, yeah, growing up on a ranch, you know, and, you know, that's where I, I kind of go back to finding song ideas. You know, I, I write about what I know, and um, there might be a little more depth to some songs than others. Uh, just not like reaching for something completely different, you know, but I'll always go back to those, all those years of working on a ranch and, you know, write about family and friends and, and because, uh, yeah, a lot of the songs that I do write, um, like, say, Cowboy Life, for an example, it's not about me. It's about, you know, like, say, really like the rough stock riders, because they'd probably tell you, you tell them you, themselves that there's, there's kind of an age limit on it. You know, you can't be riding bareback horses when you're 50 or 60 years old, you know. And so that's kind of what the song's about, you know, just remember what it felt like, you know, throwing caution to the wind. And um, so, yeah, just uh, just writing about what I know and you know, I'm enjoying and, it. And now, I mean, the old bleach skull you found in the draw 
It's got a story to it that you're, (laughs) see, see, hello. And, and by the way, I think you told me this in Las Vegas, the Hawk, the song, the Hawk, which I I do, I go back to that. I play it a lot. There really was a Hawk that showed up on the ranch after your dad passed away. Wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we never get Hawks out there. You see a lot of, you know, bald eagles, gold eagles, things like that, which are beautiful. Uh, But yeah, my mom, she's outside all day every day just there's always something she wants to fix up or clean up and she's a mowing machine and weed eating she loves to weed eat maybe she doesn't love to do it but uh she doesn't but yeah it wasn't long after dad had passed and she was just out for a walk and she noticed this hawk actually she saw the shadow on the ground first and it was like kind of circling her and then she looked up and there's this hawk circling her and she went turned around i think she was walking up to the cattle garden she turned around went into the barn you know check on something and came back outside and that same hawk was perched up in a tree just outside the barn and she kind of thought this is kind of weird you know it's it's magical but this is what's going on here and so then she headed on back to the house and that hawk was like way out in the pasture kind of following her from a distance and so she told me this story and I hadn't been writing songs yet. And I just kind of kept that story in the back of my mind. And, and once I started getting into writing, uh, that one didn't take very long to write. Oh, well, cause, cause branch rhymes with ranch. So that's a good one. <laughs> Never been too many. What, how is it? Hawks yeah. on this ranch with something one sitting up on that branch. So I'm, I'm on yeah. the right track. Look at yeah. me. I could write. I'm a writer, man. <laughs> you will get your pen and paper oh, out. Oh, I know. But that, I don't know. That song gets to me and, and it it's, I don't know. I you know, say this with every, I've had Mark Wills on here. I've had Shane Miner, great songwriter. And we've all, I say this, people probably get tired of me saying it, but the problem I have with some music now, it doesn't touch an emotion. And for, for music to mean anything to me, it needs to touch an emotion, whether that, mm-hmm. whether that emotion is a, a happy one, a sad one, um, or just sentimental like that. It's got to touch an emotion. And that one yeah. definitely touches an emotion. So yeah. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps talking about that song. It does. Yeah. It really does. Well, that's, if it has that effect on you and or anybody else, I, I guess yeah. I've done my part, you know, yes, you it's have. still, it's still, you know, kind of makes my lip quiver every time I sing it live, sure. you know, cause I'm, sure. I'm the only one on stage doing it. You know, I just, I give the band a, a bit of a break, ah, you know, gotcha. go get you a sarsaparilla or something like that. And, and I'll do this song and, and tear up for a bit. And then you guys come back and we'll blow the roof <laughs> off the place. <laughs> uh, um, you know, until I started doing my stage show that you've been kind of, like I said, I appreciated it this year. Things were different, but we were so glad you came. And until I started doing that show in Vegas, the Outside the Barrel show, I always, I guess I, I'm like most people in the country that I always equate music success with mainstream radio, uh, music country music success with being on the highway XM station or your local FM station. Then as time went, I started to have guys on my show at the time, uh, Aaron Watson. And then I met and became friends with Cody Johnson and then Chancey Williams and Ned Ledoux. There's, there's this culture of music that has taught me that success in music doesn't always mean mainstream radio. There is a great culture of successful musicians that unless you really get out there and love music, you don't see them. And I like it better. <laughs> I really <laughs> like it, but it's uh-huh. there. Yeah. And I've been an independent artist, you know, my whole career and, you know, and I haven't really been doing this that long. I think maybe five years, something like that. But I never, you know, like once I got into singing and being the guy out front and Hey, I got an, an album out, you know, I didn't, hope for like major success or anything. I was just like, man, I hope some people hear this, you know, that, that's all I want. You know, I want to play these songs live and uh, be honest with you. I've never been a fan of mainstream 
you know, the music on there. You know, my favorite stuff comes from my, my buddies, you know, like Corb Lund, you know, he's Corb. I wanted to talk about Corb. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's almost like, like this underground following type of thing, you know, and what most people see, it's almost like being underwater. And what most people see is uh, on the surface that's mainstream up here. But I, I think you can swim quicker when you're underwater. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a point, a point in there somewhere, but, uh, but yeah, I've just always enjoyed, you know, the guys that, um, you know, of course the Texas stuff, red dirt stuff. Uh, And like I said, just kind of my friends, what they're doing. Um, Corb Lund (laughs) dancing with your spurs on that's you and Corb Lund talk about, I mean, that guy, you know, he didn't get to come down to Vegas this year. He's up in Canada, but talk about true roots to country Western music. I mean, his go-to guy is Ian Tyson for God's sakes. I mean, Uh but, but so a guy that just adapts, you know, quirky, he talks about, uh, cows around or whatever. He talks about having cows around. He talks about having the vet cut the, the beat out of the, I mean, but, but I'm with you. It, it provides it again. It touches an emotion of, of humor of, you know, dancing with your spurs on you sang that on my show. What a great, it, it just brings sentiment to you. It, it's a warm kind of a thing. Yeah. And in the last couple of years, uh, I guess we're not going to do it this year. Uh, they're going to postpone it till next year. But I've, I've got the pleasure, had the pleasure to play the uh, American Cowboy Poetry Gathering down in Elko, okay. Nevada. Yeah. And now none of those guys are going to be mainstream, but there's always going to be a place for this kind of music, sure. you know, and it's you know, the folks, you know, the country folks, the rodeo people, um, they love this kind of stuff. And, and of course, Corb, I think, has played Elko. I don't know, 15, 16 times, you know, but, um, that, yeah, I've, I can't remember when I first met Corb, but we, I know we hit it off right away. Oh, you yeah. know, he was asking if I wrote songs and at the time I don't think I'd written anything. And, and he was just kind of telling me his story and I shared mine with him. And, and in a way we kind of come with similar backgrounds. You know, we both, you know, grew up on a ranch, you know, our family still have a ranch and, uh, he might've rode more steers than I did, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just listening to his music and Kurt, he's come to find out he's kind of a bookworm. You know, he just reads a lot of books, you know, so maybe that's where a lot of it comes you from. You know what well. I call him? I call him quirky. He's yeah. quirky. Corb's <laughs> yeah. quirky. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just always enjoyed his stuff and his latest album, Agricultural Tragic yeah. is spot on, you know, yeah. And and not only him, but also uh, Culture Wall is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's not enough not enough people here. The stuff that's uh, that's not mainstream, and not, not to get into this, but it, to to be mainstream, you almost got to play the game right. I mean, Cody Johnson wouldn't get played for a long time because he did it his own way, and finally, mm-hmm. once he went kind of went to Nashville, they put him out there, but. I don't know. I, I respect you guys that keep going and I don't know. There's a different definition of success in the music world than I ever suspected years ago. And I, and I like it uh, and I yeah, like and to bring it. There's a, a sense of freedom mm-hmm. and you know, you, you don't have, I don't have anybody telling me what kind of songs I need to write. And, yeah. you know, I stick to a schedule when we're on the road because <laughs> you got to yeah. do that. But, you know, as far as like the stuff I'm going to write, you know, I, I do my own thing and, and luckily enough, you know, a lot of people have, you know, taken a liking to it. So appreciate that. Oddly enough. Yeah. Oddly yeah. enough. Wait till that one about the skull comes out. I mean, yeah. it's going to be crazy. <laughs> it's going to take off. Um, you know, one thing, one thing I have uh, in my career, you know what I do for a real job. And, and no matter what happens, you still step out. I got to still step out for two and a half hours and be kind of the happiest guy in the room and, uh, it, it, to me, there's been, you know, things in my, my personal life hasn't always been great. And there's almost an escape for that two and a half hours that you focus on just the joy you can bring people. Um, and not to, it, it's a tough subject to touch on, but it is hard to go through personal loss in a public life. 
and you have had to battle through personal loss in a public life, if there was one thing I could think of in going through a, a, a tragic personal loss in your life, it would be music to me. I've sung in funerals. I've mentioned this on another one of these. I remember singing at my grandpa's funeral, and we were it was such a loss. But music, it was like a different compartment. It was like it took me somewhere else. I would think to get on stage, it's real hard after loss, but it, it, in a sense, I would think it would bring you peace. Am I kind of on the right track? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's hard to talk about it. Yeah. You know? yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't want to make you talk about something you don't want to talk about, but I'm more, more about music and what it can bring to you, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Well, I'll just kind of go back to like when my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was tough, you know, yeah. but thank goodness for Dustin Evans. You know, he called me up like a week later and said, I want you to come play drums for me. The job's yours if you want it. And I said, when is it? Cause I need to get you back bet. behind those drums and release what I'm feeling, you know? And, and that's a great thing about music whether you're going through hard times or the best of times, you know, music is just, it's always going to be there. And when somebody does pass, like, you know, my dad's been gone for almost 16 years, but his music will live on beyond forever you know and uh but yeah music has always been like a therapy for me and it's it's been a part of my life like i told you since i was probably six or seven once i got those set of drums and i just knew that that's what i wanted to do for for forever and and thank god i've been able to make a pretty decent living at it uh even if i wasn't making a living at it i'd still still do it yeah there's a yeah there's a song for every occasion there's Mm -hmm. a song for loss there's a song for a party there's a song for love. There's a song for losing love. There's just a song for every for every situation. There's mm-hmm. some. There's music there. Yeah, it's like a friend. It's like your friends. Yeah, and a variety of friends is good. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> when right. When it comes to music, you know, because I I listen to all kinds of stuff. I mean, you would think, I don't know, maybe not, but like I write songs about cowboys and rodeo and ranching and living in the middle of nowhere. But I also love some Pantera, you know, <laughs> some heavy metal and some, you know, Chuck Berry, you know, I think you got to have variety. You know, I mean, it's so, I, I don't know, maybe for some guys, it's okay to just stay in the same genre, but I, I, I think it's good to kind of branch out and listen to other stuff, you know. I love a good story. Like your, your songs hold stories. Um, I'm a sap. I love a good love song, a good old. Keith Urban or a Mark Wills, you know, Steve Warner. I love Steve Warner. Yeah. Uh, but I also like good harmonies. Like I remember listening to, to Boys to Men, you know, back <laughs> in the day. Believe it or not, I know a lot of words to One Direction songs. I, I, had, oh, yeah. I had girls, you know, I had girls. So I, uh, um, yeah, Steve, Steve Warner uh, is a pretty good friend of mine. Shut your uh, mouth. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you don't really have to shut your mouth. I mean, you know, (laughs) I think it was in like 2003 or something like that. I moved to Nashville just to kind of experience it. I think I was only there for maybe a couple of years, but I joined up with a band kind of like a side project and we were called lucky black. And it was kind of a, not Southern rock. We were kind of like a black crows meets Tom Petty, Tom kind of like a true rock and roll band. And well, the guitar player, Ryan Warner, Steve Warner's son. And so him and I, we ended up living together and, and we hit it off right away. I mean, he was into the same music I was and we watched the same movies and all that stuff. And we still, you know, keep in touch. And, you know, to mention these skulls, I think the very first one I ever painted, I gave to Steve. No kidding. And and it was years later, I texted him or called him up and said, do you still got that old cow skull that I gave you? He said, oh, yeah, it's sitting in my office. I'm sure proud of that, Ned. I appreciate you giving that to me. I said, well, can I have it back so I can redo it for you? Because looking back on it, I was like, I could have done a way better job. But but hey, he's got one of the first ones. Uh, Great guy. Huge Steve Warner fan. Great guitar player. He had such great songs. You know what he had? Uh, I'll tell you this. Late 80s, 
You know what Steve Warner had that I modeled myself after? His hair. He had the greatest <laughs> bi-level kind of, uh, yeah. it was spectacular, I, I Ned. Kind of, yeah, was, I can kind of see the familiarity right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, so you can text Steve, say, hey, I had a great experience on Flint's podcast. And, you know. Well, he, he might. <laughs> I'm closer with, I got actually got his number in my phone. I don't have Garth. So. Oh, okay. Well, whatever it takes. Okay. <laughs> um, it, you know, I, I don't know. It's a lot of ways to wrap up a conversation with you, but um, <clears throat> you know, you, you do clubs, smaller venues, you know, that culture we talk about, but you've opened for Toby and, and for Garth Brooks uh, stadium, Indianapolis. Did you open for Garth? Is that where that was? Yeah. In Indianapolis. Yep. The uh, FFA the convention. FFA convention. I can't imagine those kids, the FFA kids with you and Garth Brooks. Could you hear <laughs> anything? Uh, not a whole lot. It was, <laughs> I, I just remember walking into the building or actually back up, you know, a little bit earlier, pulling into downtown Indianapolis yeah. and just seeing it. I mean, it looks like a gigantic barn or barn. It does look like a barn, the Lucas yeah. Oil Stadium. Yes, it does. Yeah. So then we wander in, and uh, I think my brother was there, Will, and we just look around, and you almost get a kink in your neck from just looking up at the seats and knowing that in a very short time, every one of them is going to be filled, you know, whatever it is, 65,000 people. Uh, but, yeah, that was a – a rush, you know, to, yeah. to open up for Garth. And we opened up for him like a year and a half before that in Nashville. I think it was like the, the end of his tour kind of wrapping it up, but, and he would come backstage, you know, uh, after our show and just, you know, say hello and, you know, get a picture and, you know, share a few stories, stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, playing a stadium, I think I'll leave that up to Garth. You, hey, I, I, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I've done shows in, in AT&T Stadium, Cowboy Stadium, uh, mm -hmm. some big, a few stadiums here and there. And, and that initial rush of, holy crap, there's 50,000 people here is a great rush. But I like, and I, I think you probably do too, I like to connect, look people in the eye, have a yeah. conversation with someone. There's a real, not a connection a lot is what I, I'm not complaining, yeah. but uh, now here with PBR stuff, our smaller markets, there's a couple thousand people and, and there's almost a real refreshing feeling to it. Um, I see you as maybe that club with a couple thousand people. It, it provides more of a connection, I'll bet. It does. Yeah. And we played uh, AT&T for the American last yeah. year, last March. And yeah, it's kind of the way you feel you're, you're so far away from everybody, you know, cause of course they got the open arena in front of you. So you don't have any people right in front of you. And so you're just kind of watching up on the big screen or trying to point at somebody, <laughs> whether you're pointing at them, yeah, I'm talking to you, you know, but you're actually, you're just kind of pointing, you know, they're out there, you know, yeah, they're out there. there. <laughs> I can kind of hear you. Actually, I couldn't hear anything down there, but, but yeah, I think we're best suited for, you know, yeah, like you said, like 2,000 seat places and, you know, and I love playing county fairs. You know, yeah. you got the grandstand in front of you and, you know, the families can come out. They got the little kids playing in the dirt and, you know, I got cotton candy all over the face and, and they're out there dancing and having just as much fun, or if, if not more than the, the grownups are, you know, yeah. so I just love playing for the families and the, and the small towns and yeah, I think that's where we belong. And don't swear in front of your son. Don't no. say stupid. Sorry, that was before we started. But anyway, uh, well, listen, Ned, I, I don't want to keep you all day, even though you said I could have you all day. Um, yeah. I appreciate it. We have talked in the past. You've been on my show a lot, but there's always a time limit. You know, let's get you sing a song or two. Let's talk about something. But I love your story. Uh, I guess, like I always say, you know, one of my biggest regrets in in my career was I've told you this is standing 10 feet away from Chris Ledoux in the lobby of the hotel at, in Reno and not going up and telling him who I was because I didn't want to bother him. And it's a regret I have to this day, but in turn, I get to know Ned 
So, and I can I consider, honestly, I consider you a good friend and I hope that's okay and feel like I could call you anytime and visit. And, and I think people listening to this podcast should know that about you. And I hope they know that about you. And it means a lot to people like me. Well, Hey, I've always considered you a good friend. You know, you've always been <clears throat> really good to me and, and everybody that's, you know, kind of in the same camp, you know, so yeah. Yeah, just thanks for having me on. And I do want to say that, you know, even though you never did meet dad, I know he watched you, you know, he would, he'd watch like at Cheyenne, you know, and he'd laugh. I remember you, I don't know what you did, some Michael oh. Jackson movie or something. And so he did, he, he knew who you were, you know, even know. though you didn't shake hands, but good to he know. Knew who you were. Good to know. Well, that's good yeah. to know. You made my day, Ned. That's good right. to know. Well, listen, Ned, <laughs> always appreciate your time. Ned Ledoux. I'm not going to call you a country music superstar because that'd mean you'd have skinny jeans on, but uh, <laughs> one of our favorite country music recording artists. Thanks, Ned. All right. Thanks, Flint.